Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Well, today on Tuesday, August 4th, the price of gold, spot gold, finally traded above 2,000 US dollars per ounce for the first time in history. We were up about $40 an ounce today. We closed just over 2017 for one ounce of gold. Silver also had a big day, up better than a dollar and a half. We came to within a few cents again of the $26 mark. We're at $25.90 and change as I am recording this podcast. You know, we had been above 26. I think it was one night last week, uh, but gold uh, did not get above 2000 at that time. It did it for the first time today. In fact, the first moment earlier this morning when gold peaked its head above 2000 it immediately got whacked and it dropped about five six seven bucks i forget instantly there was a big sell order that came in as soon as gold printed above 2000 which again is exactly what i like to see in a bull market is all of this nervousness all of this skepticism because here we have a new milestone we have two thousand dollar gold we break through it and the very first uh action that traders take right the first thought is oh i gotta sell i gotta sell two thousand gold instead of wanting to buy the breakout they want to sell the high print and that's exactly what they did and of course once gold pulled back all the buying that drove it up to 2000 in the first place was still there. The problem for the sellers or the shorts is once it got back above 2000 again, all the people who wanted to sell 2000 gold had already sold and the smart money had bought it from them. 
And we close today, again, north of that 2000 benchmark. I think gold is now building some support, potentially above 2000. This could now be the new support we'll see for the price of gold. I've been saying that the support has been inching higher and higher and higher as more and more buyers enter the market and the supply of sellers is diminished. Looking at the gold stocks, yes, they had a strong day today. The GDX was up 4.5%. That is a new uh, high for the year. Not even close to an all-time record high, but it is a high for the year. The GDXJ was up almost 5%, but it didn't even make a new high for the year. And you know, even within the GDX, there are plenty of gold stocks that didn't take out their highs from last week, let alone their highs for the year. And of course, if you go back to uh, 2011, the GDXJ was over 160. It's at 63 now. Gold is higher than it was back in 2011, but the gold stocks are still a fraction of their 2011 value. So again, this is more evidence of the wall of worry. We haven't seen a big rush into gold stocks. And I don't think we're going to see a meaningful correction in this market until we see that rush, until we see some money actually coming off the sidelines, until we see some mainstream investors coming into gold. Now, I know people could say, but Peter, you know, gold stocks have tripled since their marks lows. Forget about that. The March lows were ridiculous. They were a gift from the trading gods if you were smart enough to buy, but that's an artificial benchmark. Throw that out. Those stocks never should have been down there. It was only a function of stupidity and liquidity that drove them to those ridiculous prices in the first place. So forget about that. Just look at where gold stocks are in relation to history and in relation to the price of gold and throw out that big drop in March and the snapback and just look at where they are. They have barely moved. We still need to see more money coming into gold, mainstream money. Look, you know, I was listening again on CNBC you know, one of the best contrarian indicators out there, certainly when it comes to the gold market. And there's this guy that was explaining why gold at 2000 is really not that significant. And, you know, it's only temporary and gold is going to sell off just as soon as interest rates uh, or real rates go positive. And I'm just laughing. I mean, just as soon as real interest rates go positive, when is that going to happen? I mean, that's not even close to happening. I mean, the Positive real interest rates aren't even anywhere on the horizon. So if you think gold is going to keep rising until real interest rates go positive, you should be buying it with both hands. I mean, obviously, there's no way the Fed is ever going to get in front of the inflation curve and have nominal interest rates higher than the CPI, let alone the actual rate of inflation, which the CPI doesn't even come close to capturing. So this guy here is dismissing gold's rally because he thinks gold's only going up because right now we have negative real rates. But as soon as real rates go positive, well, gold's going to crash. Well, if you're worried about gold crashing, you better be more worried about the stock market crashing or the real estate market or the bond market or the U.S. economy because the only reason anything is going up is because real interest rates are negative, right? So if that's your view on gold, you should have the same view on every single asset that there is. But no, I'm sure if you talk to that guy, well, he's bullish on the stock market. Hey, everything is great on the stock market. The only market he's worried about is gold because he recognizes that gold is going up 
because of negative real rates, but he doesn't make the same recognition when it comes to the assets he probably likes, like the stock market, like like the NASDAQ. The reality is the one asset that really should be going up because of negative rates is gold. Gold's the one asset that's not in a bubble because of negative rates, because negative rates are positive for gold, and they're even more positive for gold stocks. Gold stocks are the only stocks that should really be going up because of what the Fed is doing, because it's so bullish for their business, because it makes gold more desirable, it makes gold more expensive, and that is the product that they sell. So they're going to sell more expensive gold, and the price of gold is going to go up faster than the cost of mining it, and so this is fantastic for these businesses. But until you start to see some more positive coverage. And look, I did see a couple of fast money guys come out today and they said, oh, I'm buying Agnigo Eagle, I'm buying Newmont. Okay, so a couple of guys out there are, are saying it. And, you know, of course, these guys were laughing at me when I was recommending gold stocks when they were half the current price, but that's okay. I mean, I'm, it's good that they're recommending it now. It's not too little too late. Gold stocks have a long way to run. And most people on CNBC are completely clueless. So at least some of these guys... Uh, are starting to get it. But until we see these mainstream Wall Street guests that are coming on acknowledging gold and gold stocks, and until we see some spectacular gains, I mean, I think we're going to see these gold stocks going up 10%, 20% or more in a single day. And so until that happens, I just think it's steady as she goes. Hold on to this market. Keep on buying. It's not time to take profits yet. It's not even time uh, to lighten up. I just think that you enjoy the ride if you're on it. And if you're not on it, well, you need to get on board. Again, uh, you know, buy physical gold and silver. By the way, silver at just under $26 is still a steal. Uh, don't worry that you missed the bottom. I mean, if you had been listening to my podcast, you wouldn't have. You'd have bought the bottom, like I told you. Uh, but you can keep buying now because we're still much closer to the bottom than to the top. So you can buy gold and silver at Shift Gold. You can also go through the Perth Mint if you're working with us at Europe Pacific Capital. Talk to Danielle. She uh, is in charge of that program at Euro Pacific Capital, and, and you can have some gold and silver stored in the Perth Mint in Australia. And again, my gold fund, the Euro Pacific Gold Fund, buy it through uh, reps at Euro Pacific Capital, buy it directly at the website at europepacificfunds.com, buy it at your discount broker, Schwab, Fidelity, E-Trade, Ameritrade. All these discount brokers are going to have uh, my funds on the website. Get in. We're almost going to be at 300 million. I think we're getting close to 280 million in NAV in that fund. It started the year at under 110 million, uh, but still, it's small in the scheme of things, and it has a a long way to go. But I want to remind everybody too that $2,000 gold is a milestone. You know, certainly personally, there's a bit of a uh, satisfaction in 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 being right. Although I still think that the price needs to go much higher for me to really. Uh, take a, a victory lap on the call because a lot of people would point out that, hey, it's taken a long time to get to 2000. And I agree, it's taken longer than I originally thought. I mean, the only thing that surprises me about $2,000 gold is that it took so long to get here. But I think that, you know, the $1,000 milestones are going to start dropping like dominoes here. And I think people are going to take notice because today, very few people are noticing or commenting on the significance of gold going above 2000 because they they don't they don't uh, understand it right it reminds me of the old uh, uh, saying about nero fiddling 
while Rome burned. I don't know if anybody on Wall Street plays the fiddle or anybody in academia or anybody in Washington, but whatever they're doing, they're doing something equally as trivial and they are ignoring uh, the fire that is that is burning in the dollar because that is really what the rising gold price is telling you. The dollar is in trouble. The dollar is on fire. And the fire may have begun with the dollar, but it's going to spread to the financial markets and the entire economy. And people just don't get this, which is why I'm telling people, look, it's it's rewarding financially. It's a, it's a bit vindicating, but you should not be celebrating gold going to 2000. This is not a happy occasion uh, because it really portends some real big problems on the horizon. I mean, most Americans don't have any gold. There is severe economic hardship that the vast majority of Americans are going to be enduring. And gold is basically letting you know that that hardship is on the way. The fact that so many people don't understand it, don't perceive the significance, you know, that's different. That's an opportunity for us to profit, but it's not a reason to celebrate. It really is a, a sad, somber occasion. And unfortunately, it's going to get a lot sadder as the price of gold gets a lot higher. The consolation is at least we'll get richer, right? during the process, which I would rather do. I'd rather uh, get richer than poor, all things being equal. I'd rather make money than lose it. And I think we're going to end up making a lot of it. And again, the key is purchasing power. You can't keep track of how much money you have, but how much purchasing power you have, because we're going to have a lot of broke millionaires at some point in the United States, because if your millions are in dollars, you may not have much money. What you need is ounces of gold, uh, not units of a fiat currency. And by the way, it looks like the dollar's brief bear market rally that began the last day of July to save it from being even a worse month than it was, I think uh, it's already run its course because the dollar, which was up again yesterday, is now decisively headed lower again. And I think it's got a long way to go down from here. In fact, we do get some economic numbers. We get the ADP employment numbers tomorrow and the official non-farm payroll on Friday. Uh, We also get some trade figures tomorrow. But I think these numbers Uh, could be a catalyst again for new lows in the dollar index for this move. And as the dollar goes down, gold is going to be going up. In fact, gold going up is really a measure of how much value the dollar is losing. And, you know, I think we are getting dangerously close to a Wiley Coyote moment in the dollar. And if you don't know who Wiley Coyote is, go uh, YouTube uh, Roadrunner, Wiley Coyote, Cliff or something, and you'll see Wiley Coyote. And what happens with Wile E. Coyote is he always runs off the edge of a cliff as uh, the roadrunner is chasing him. And then after he runs off the edge of a cliff, he just floats in midair. He, you know, you'd think he's going to fall. But the thing is, he hasn't, doesn't realize that he's ran off the edge of a cliff. And so he thinks he's on firm ground, but he's actually standing in thin air. But it's not until he looks down and discovers that he's standing on thin air that he actually falls to the bottom of the canyon. And I think that's what's going to happen soon to people who are in the dollar. As soon as they look down and realize where they're standing, uh, the dollar is going to drop like a stone. And that's when the price of gold is going to skyrocket. And so you better be on that rocket ship uh, before that ride begins. You know, while I'm talking about gold, I might as well uh, take a quick moment to mention Fool's Gold, a.k.a. Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin had a bit of a run over the weekend. It actually got all the way up to... I think 12,000 was the high. So once we got back above 10,000, we had a a bigger move up to 12,000. 
As I am recording this, though, Bitcoin is back down at around 11,250. You know, after we got up to 12,000, we had about a five-minute drop. I think it was on Sunday where we went from 12,000 down to 10,500 in about five minutes, right? So about a 15% drop in five minutes, which is typical uh, for the trading in Bitcoin. But, you know, I think the Bitcoin move above 10,000 really... Uh, was in advance of and anticipating gold's move above 2000. In fact, what really happened is that Bitcoin got a ride on gold's coattails and it got a longer ride than some might have expected because it actually got ahead of gold and went all the way up to 12,000 before gold broke 2000. But today, with all the, you know, the move in gold, gold going above 2000, up 40 bucks, silver up over a buck and a half, nothing. Crickets uh, from uh, the Bitcoin market. Bitcoin didn't go anywhere all throughout the day. It stayed around 11,200, 11,300, really didn't move very much at all. And so maybe the ride is over. Maybe it's a buy the rumor, sell the fact. People, traders, speculators bought the rumor of gold breaking 2000. And now that it has, uh, they're selling on the facts. So we'll see what happens. It looks like Bitcoin though has built some support around 11,000 or just below. Not really sure how solid that support is. I think it'll be tested. If it doesn't hold and Bitcoin goes back below 10,000, that may be the last time it ever trades above. That could have been the final last gasp for Bitcoin. But who knows, you know, in this kind of environment with the dollar crashing and gold and silver soaring, uh, there still could be some buyers yet, some spec money that could drive Bitcoin higher so long as uh, the people that own it don't want to get out. But I still don't think we're going to make new highs. And in fact, looking at all of the bullish uh, news and stories and tweets that I saw on Saturday as Bitcoin was approaching 12,000, there was so much optimism. I mean, I've never seen that much optimism about gold, right? There's been so much pessimism. Gold has been climbing a wall of worry, not Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin has actually been sliding a slope of hope. What the Bitcoiners don't realize is that Bitcoin's been in a bear market since December of 2017 when it was at 20,000. But this is the most hope I've ever seen any bear market slide a slope of because every time it ticks up, they're not just thinking that it's going up. They're thinking 50,000, 100,000, a million. So wild optimism when it comes to Bitcoin uh, and measured a skepticism when it comes to gold. Very different markets and I think headed in very different directions. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Now, speaking about CNBC, too, I read an article today, in fact, just before I started to record this podcast about the Federal Reserve getting ready to commit to even more inflation. And of course, you know, you, you want to immediately take a step back from a headline like that. I mean, even more inflation than we got now? I mean, how can we have more? I mean, look how much money they're printing. But what they actually mean by commit to it is somehow codify their desire to allow inflation to be above 2% 
before they raise rates. And they're talking now about maybe 4% or just, you know, letting it stay at 2% or higher for a long period of time before they would think about, think about, thinking about raising interest rates, right? Because the Fed wants to make sure they know that they're not thinking about, thinking about, thinking about raising interest rates. And so one way to make sure that we know that is if we didn't already know that is to tell us, hey, dummy, we don't care how high inflation gets. We're not raising rates. And of course, they don't actually look at the real rate of inflation. They just look at the CPI. And they don't even look at that. They look at some other core measure or the personal consumption expenditure index. They look at an index that'll probably never get above 4%, even if the actual rate of inflation is 20 or 30%. Right, because they can always focus on a subset of a subset and say, oh, we're looking at this. But what they're doing is they have to come up with all types of excuses in advance because they know they can never raise interest rates, which brings me back to what that guest said on CNBC. Well, gold's going to go up as soon as real interest rates are positive. The Fed is telling you that's never going to happen. They're not going to let that happen. They're going to make sure to keep interest rates below the level of inflation indefinitely. Right. So this, though, is not really a promise that the Fed is making. You have to understand this is a threat. Right. Saying that they're going to commit to more inflation is a threat against the American public. It's a threat against the American economy. You're saying we're going to wipe out the value of your savings. We're going to increase the cost of living. I mean, what a stupid policy. I mean, if the country is in trouble because of COVID-19, Right. The last thing that we want is higher consumer prices. I mean, after all, if we're already getting less supply because fewer people are working and they're not producing, then why would we want to add insult to injury? Why would we want to pour gasoline on that fire by creating even higher prices because of uh, debasing the currency? I mean, obviously or not obvious, but obvious to me, but not to our policymakers. We've got a crisis. The government needs to get smaller, cut government spending free up resources so the private sector can deal with the crisis. That's what we need. We don't need bigger government. We don't need more inflation. We need less government. We need sound money. We need to let interest rates go up so that we could rebuild the economy. I mean, this is all a bunch of nonsense. This is absurd. But the Fed is actually about to codify this absurdity by strengthening their commitment to reckless money printing and endless inflation. And you think gold is expensive? At $2,000 an ounce? No, it's still cheap. In fact, the most clueless guy at the Federal Reserve is Neil Kashkari, right? This guy was on Face the Nation on Sunday. And here's what this guy said. And in fact, this guy is so clueless that he's probably got the inside track on being the next Fed chairman, right? Because this is probably who President Biden is going to select, you know, if he can remember, you know, who's on the Fed, uh, but I'm sure that, you know, his his aides will point him out, but he's probably going to be the next Fed chairman. So what Kashkari was saying on Face the Nation was that what we really need to do is to shut the country down completely. Total lockdown, six weeks, right? Nobody leave their house, right? And the government will just pay for it all. The government will just give everybody a check. And what Neil said was that we can afford it now. This is a great time for the U.S. government to borrow and spend money. What? We could afford it? There's never been a period of time where we could least afford it. The debt is at a record. Look, the total debt to GDP now, if you include the state governments and the local governments, which you should because it's all claims to the same taxpayer, it's now 154% of GDP. 154%. There's only two countries in the world that are higher than that. And one of them is Greece and the other is Japan. 
Now, Greece has Germany, right? If it wasn't for Germany bailing out Greece, Greece would have already collapsed, right? So the Germans and the rest of the EU are bailing out Greece. So that's how Greece can survive with all this debt. Japan is able to do it because Japan is a rich creditor nation. The Japanese people have a lot of savings. Japan runs current account surpluses, trade surpluses, and they have huge reserves. The Japanese, you know, owe over a trillion in U.S. Treasury. So U.S. government owes the Japanese government over a trillion, which would cancel out a good chunk of their debt. So those countries have a way of dealing with their high debt. America doesn't. America is alone in its vulnerability to massive, unprecedented levels of debt. And this is a time where Neil says, hey, we're in great shape. This is the perfect time to go out and borrow and spend more money. And you might want to think, well, what is he basing this nonsense on? And I'm not making this up. This is what this guy actually said on national television. See, he said that Americans were flush, that we have a big increase in savings, right? Because so many Americans aren't going to restaurants, they're not going to movie theaters, they're not taking vacations, all that money that they're not spending on those things, well, they're just socking it away. They're saving it. So Americans have this huge stockpile of savings and the U.S. government could tap into that and use that to pay for all these benefits while we lock down the economy. I mean, is he kidding me? I mean, does he really think Americans are saving that much money by not going to the movies and not going out to dinner? I mean, they're still eating. They're still doing stuff. They're still at home shopping, right? I mean, they're spending money. We know that. They're just spending it in different ways. But it's not like they have this huge store of savings. But even if they did, even if average Americans had all the savings, how exactly does Neil Cash Carey think the government is going to tap into that? There's only two ways the U.S. government can tap into that savings. See, he just assumes that the government can benefit from those savings without actually tapping it, which is nonsense. Because he said that we don't have to borrow from foreigners. We won't have to borrow from, uh, you know, the Chinese or the Japanese because we can borrow from Americans because they've got all this savings. Okay, so what he's saying then is the U.S. government is going to sell treasury bonds and people are going to take their money that they didn't spend going to the movies and they're going to use that money to buy treasury bonds that yield less than 1%. I mean, does he actually think Americans are that dumb that they're going to take what savings they have by not going to the movies and not taking a vacation and they're going to lend it to the U.S. government at 40 basis points? You know, by the way, we almost hit record lows today on yields. The yield on the uh, 30-year is below 1.2% and the yield on the 10-year is barely above a half a percent. Uh, we're at 0.0515. So does Neil Kashkari really think that Americans are going to take their savings and loan them to the U.S. government at these ridiculously low interest rates? Of course not. I mean, they may be dumb, but they're not insane. They're not going to do anything like that. So there's no way the government is going to be able to tap into America's supposed store of savings by selling them bonds because they ain't going to buy. Now, the other way the U.S. government could, in theory, tap into all this money would be to raise taxes, right? Hey, hey, you guys that didn't lose your jobs, right? You guys are still working. We're going to tax you so that we can take some of your money and give it to the people who aren't working, right? In effect, that's what Neil Kashkari is saying, that the U.S. government should take advantage of the fact that not every American is broke. Some Americans are saving money by not 
enjoying themselves by going out and taking vacations and having entertainment. So we should take that money away from those Americans, those savings, and give it to the people who are actually suffering because they work in restaurants and movie theaters and the travel industry. But of course, he didn't say that. He's not saying the U.S. government should raise anybody's taxes. And he knows damn well Americans aren't going to buy treasuries. So Neil has to know that the only way that we can shut down the economy and the U.S. government can borrow and spend to the degree that he is advocating is if the Fed provides the money. The Fed is going to be the only buyer that's going to print up all this money and buy all these bonds. That's going to be the source of liquidity, not the untapped savings of Americans who are self-isolating and not going to the movies. That is complete, unadulterated nonsense. But Supposedly, this guy is one of the smartest, one of the brightest financial minds of our time, right? That's why he's an FOMC member. You know, if you think having any economic understanding is what qualifies you to be on the FOMC, <laughs> you guys, you haven't listened to my podcast enough. These guys are as clueless as you get. And the fact that people think they know what they're doing is the ultimate example of the blind leading the blind. You know, and while I'm on the subject of the American people not being dumb enough to loan money to the U.S. government for 50 basis points for 10 years. Another thing Americans are not dumb enough to do is to turn down a paid vacation. You know, it is amazing. I saw Nancy Pelosi. She was interviewed on, I forget which one of the uh, Sunday programs it was. I, th- I It, it might have been this week with Stephanopoulos. But um, she was on there talking about the fact that the, the Republicans, the mean, uh, greedy Republicans, you know, don't want to approve the $600 a week extension of these supplemental benefits because they have this crazy theory, this really unproven pie-in-the-sky kind of nutty theory that somehow these $600 a week payments act as a disincentive to work, right? And she basically says, that's crazy. There's no way. Nobody is going to be disincentivized from working uh, just to get $600 a week. And then, you know, she claims she has this study. Apparently, Yale University did a study on whether or not being paid $600 a week would be a disincentive to going back to a job. And apparently, the study said no, which to me, I mean, the only thing crazier than wasting your time studying something as obvious as that is the ridiculous conclusion uh, that they arrived at. I mean, clearly it's a disincentive. Look, Pelosi said that no Americans, no matter what their income is, would not be disincentivized from working by a $600 a week unemployment benefit. I mean, is she a complete idiot? I mean, think about it, right? If you have a job and you are paid $300 a week, that's all you make. And there are people who were making less. There were people who were working part-time who get the $600 a week. Even if you had a part-time job, you didn't even have the full-time job. Anybody who lost a job, no matter how crappy that job was, in addition to their regular benefits, gets $600. Uh, You know, uh, my niece was telling me about a friend of hers who was a part-time babysitter. And she's getting $600 a week. She She was a student babysitting. Oh, I can't babysit now. I mean, you would think you would have more opportunities to babysit with COVID when all the kids aren't in school, but this person is using that as an, as an ability to get $600 a week. A teenager getting $600 a week because she claims I can't babysit. Now, what would she rather do, babysit and make 50 bucks a week or get $600 a week by pretending she can't? Look, but in my example, if you get $300 a week, if that's what you were earning, working, 
how can you believe that that person would go back to their job at $300 a week and willingly give up $600 a week? I mean, a paid vacation of $600 a week, you would give that up to go back to a, a mundane, tedious job, especially a job you have to wake up early in the morning, get ready, commute over there, do a job that you don't like. Maybe you, you don't even like your boss. You don't even like your coworkers. It's a lousy job, but you only took the job because you needed the $300 a week. You're telling me that that person would rather have that lousy job than the $600 a week? Because in effect, if you are earning $600 a week right now, and your job that you can go back to is $300 a week, it would actually cost you $300 a week to have the job. In effect, you're paying for the privilege of having a job, right? You're turning it upside down. See, normally people have to be paid to work. Nancy Pelosi believes people will pay to work. Nancy Pelosi believes that people are so dedicated to their work and they're so generous that they, they are willing to pay hundreds of dollars a week for the privilege of having a job. I mean, how could you be that dumb? And, and how could Yale, how could, how could a university that's supposed to be really smart, right? An Ivy League university. Yes, we need to have a study to find out whether people who are currently being paid $600 a week, whether they would go back to a $300 a week job or whether they would pass and continue to collect the $600 a week. I mean, you don't need to study that. Some things are so obvious. They're intuitively obvious. They just make common sense. See, but the problem with a lot of these economists or politicians is they no longer have any common sense. They have to basically lose it all in order to get the title of economist. But uh, this is what they're saying, which is clearly ridiculous. But, you know, the Republicans don't have a very good bargaining position because they've already made the decision to compromise and agree on $200, $300. Look, all of this money acts as a disincentive to return to work. Anytime you pay somebody not to work, you disincentivize their desire to work. And in fact, what ends up happening is exactly what I said before. People end up working, but under the table. The only way businesses can hire workers now is to pay them cash under the table because that way that cash adds to their unemployment benefits. But they're not going to give up their unemployment benefits to take a job. That's a pay cut. And they give up their leisure. So the only way you can get somebody to work is to pay them under the table so they can continue to collect these benefits. But any incentive, any money that you pay people to not work discourages them from returning to work. I mentioned myself, my own example. And the unemployment wasn't even this generous. The one time in my life, I was in my 20s, I collected unemployment benefits. It was during a recession and I didn't even look for work. And I remember when they were talking about extending uh, the, the benefits because you normally have a certain amount of time. And I was hoping they would extend it because I was enjoying my vacation and I didn't want to go back to work. And as soon as they extended uh, the unemployment benefits, well, then I, 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 I delayed my, my job search because I wanted to keep getting my unemployment benefits. And that's me. Right. I mean, I mean, if I would do that, if Peter Schiff, right, young Peter Schiff would deliberately not look for work because he wanted to get unemployment, why wouldn't other people do the same thing? I mean, I think I have probably a little bit higher uh, moral uh, compass than most people. And if mine was broken because I was, you know, led astray by this government money, why wouldn't other people do the same thing that I did? And in fact, I'm sure Nancy Pelosi would do that in a heartbeat. I mean, she's certainly not on a higher moral plane than I was. So, of course, you know, they have to play this game because the voters want the money. 
And the voters know damn well that they're not taking jobs because they want the money, but they don't care. They just want the money and they want to vote for whoever gives them the money, right? Just like uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., right? Show me the money, right? That's what it boils down to. That's what the voters want. Show me the money, right? And that's what Nancy Pelosi, that's what the Democrats are doing. So that's what Trump has to do. Everybody has to show the voters the money. The problem is they're going to be shown money that doesn't have any value. So what everybody should be saying is show me the gold, show me the silver. They need to be buying the gold and silver now because the money the government's going to show you isn't going to buy anything. That's the problem. And the final topic that I wanted to touch on today is a big story. And this has to do with TikTok and the U.S. government basically trying to shake the company down or the parent of TikTok and basically force them to sell out to an American competitor at potentially a bargain price, because what Trump is saying is, hey, we are going to shut you down. We're going to destroy your entire U.S. market, which you built honestly in a competitive market. We're going to ban you. We're going to make your business in America worthless unless you sell out to a U.S. company uh, within this certain time period. So now they're negotiating under a gun and potentially they don't have as good a bargaining position as they would normally have. I mean, obviously, if TikTok parent wanted to sell its U.S. operations to an American company, it could certainly do that. And it would be better for them if they could do that uh, in different circumstances where they weren't a forced seller, uh, where they had a better bargaining position. But when you have Microsoft or whoever's bidding, knowing that they're under the gun like this, you know, they can play hardball and they can drive a better deal. But not only is Donald Trump basically abrogating any rule of law and just deciding that uh, we need to break this company up uh, or force a sale or shut it down, claiming it's a national security threat, which is complete BS. I mean, there is no national security threat here. I mean, if there really was, right, what Trump could do that would be legal and would be make sense is to say all U.S. government employees can't have this app on their phone. Or, you know, if you're a sensitive, if you're working in the military, right, you can't. You're in the Defense Department, any kind of sensitive government position. Obviously, the White House staff, Donald Trump himself should not be having a TikTok app on his phone, right? He can even say U.S. contractors, specifically defense contractors. If you've got a defense contract with the U.S., none of your employees uh, can have TikTok. I'd be fine with that if, if, if there's really a legitimate threat. But does, is there a legitimate threat? Some 16-year-old girl doing lip sync uh, on TikTok? I mean, how's that a threat? I mean, I don't care if the Chinese know their music preferences, their fashion preferences, you know, what, you know, what products they like. I mean, the guys know, you know, which of these teenage girls they think are hot. Who cares? How is any of this a national security threat? What is TikTok going to do with the information that it gets from its users? They're just going to sell ads. That's all they're going to do. They're going to take this information and use it to sell ads. They're going to do the same thing that Amazon does or that Facebook does, that Google does, that Twitter does. All these companies in the U.S., TikTok is going to do the exact same thing. They're just going to sell the data to advertisers. And that's not a threat. And look, if any U.S. citizens have a problem with the Chinese having their data, then don't have TikTok, delete the app. 
Or maybe there's some preferences in there. I don't know. You can turn some stuff off, some permissions off. I don't know. But let individual Americans decide whether or not they want the Chinese to have that data. It's not the government's business. If an American citizen wants the Chinese to know about their product preferences and their lifestyle choices, that's their right. It's not a threat to the security of the United States. But the bigger issue here is what the government is doing to the rule of law, which is completely destroying it. I mean, the U.S. is acting like a banana republic in in more ways than run. And we have banana republic monetary policy. We have banana republic fiscal policy. And now we have banana republic regulatory policy, right? There is no rule of law. We're not a nation of laws anymore. We're a nation of men. You know, the law is whatever the men decide it's going to be. Because if this is the country we're in, and I'm not hearing anybody criticizing Trump for doing this. I mean, especially the Republicans, because they don't want to criticize him for doing anything. Look, this is wrong. I don't care if the Chinese are bad and the Chinese aren't playing fair. It doesn't matter. It's the legal principle that counts. Look, when it comes to due process, you can't say, well, you know, forget about due process for criminals or bad people, right? Because, you know, they deserve what they get. But, you know, we're going to have good due process for the innocent. The minute you get rid of due process for the guilty, the innocent have no due process because everybody is innocent until proven guilty. You can't have a double standard. You can't say, well, this is just the China standard, right? Other countries don't have to worry about this, just China. That's BS. This is a very, very dangerous precedent for the U.S. to set. It is like the camel's nose under the tent, and it is undermining the credibility of America as a place for the global community to uh, safely uh, do business, to store wealth, to store assets. It's yet another straw on the back of the reserve currency status of the U.S. dollar. I mean, that's what we've had going for us, right? We've had a sound currency that was uh, the reserve currency, and we were protected by the rule of law. U.S. uh, property, if you own property, if you owned a business in the United States, you were protected by the rule of law and the U.S. judicial system. Well, now we're basically blowing that up. We're destroying our reputation by saying, no, 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 none of that matters because any U.S. president could just decide if they want, we're going to ban your company. We're going to force you to sell your company to a competitor. And you know what? We're going to demand a cut of the action, right? The U.S. government, Donald Trump says that he wants a piece of Microsoft's action that, hey, we're helping you to steal this company, to buy it out for less than it's worth. And because we did you this giant favor, we want you to cut us in. We want you to give us a piece of your action from this shakedown, right? This is how it looks to the global community, right? And it doesn't look good. So we are just, you know, destroying our reputation every different way we can. And of course, the Chinese who have been bankrolling this country, they have been underwriting our consumption. They've been supplying us with goods and loaning us their savings. And this is what we're doing. Look, obviously, this is just going to fuel the backlash and the resentment from the Chinese and other American creditors around the world. So look, again, talk about Nero fiddling while Rome burns. I mean, this is going to be one hell of a barn fire. Nobody sees this coming. Everybody is pouring gasoline on a fire that they don't even know is is burning yet. But believe me, they're going to feel the heat soon. In the meantime, take advantage of their ignorance and just keep on buying. Keep buying gold and silver. Keep selling U.S. dollars, accumulating foreign assets, foreign stocks while you can before your dollars don't buy very much or anything at all.